Hi, everyone. Welcome back to First Gen Friends, where I amplify the voices of the first generation and share their stories and experiences growing up first gen in America and sometimes Canada, too. (laughs) In today's episode, I sit down with entrepreneur, George Washington University professor and personal brand coach. We discuss her upbringing in L.A., how she became a professor and the pivotal moments in her life that gave her the confidence to take risks and become a business owner today. As always, I can't wait for you to hear the story. This is Linda. So, Professora Linda, welcome (laughs) to First Gen Friends podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So some background, we met at Christopher Rivas's podcast Ruby premiere. Rosa. Yeah. And then we took an Uber home together because we are literally neighbors. <laughs> yes, that was really fun. And of course, as all good late night uh, Uber rides go, uh, you start talking about lots of stuff. <laughs> I was like, tell me everything about you. <laughs> You're like, okay, we literally just met and we have a 20 minute Uber ride. Um, but I, I feel like I got to learn a lot about you. That was cool. And I felt like we had a lot of similarities with differences that, um, piqued my interest. So I'm happy to have you here. So where did you grow up, but also where are your parents from? Yeah. So I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, and I'm very proud to be a Valley girl. Uh, it took me a while to, to become proud, but I'm 100% there. Uh, my parents are both from Mexico, and they actually met in the States. So uh, my dad's from Zacatecas, and my mom is from Colima. But they met in the Valley. Explain why it took you a while to be proud of the Valley. <sighs> because nobody likes hearing the Valley girl accent. And, you know, we had uh, legally blonde, not legally blonde, um, clueless we had clueless you know make us look really bad you know when she gets assaulted outside of a liquor store like i grew up going near places around that liquor store <laughs> that's in uh van nuys or north hollywood i have to double check but yeah like it it was not a good thing to be from the valley and um growing up it, it was very latino and or it still is um i should say but I discovered that there's a different side to the valley, which is a very like rich, uh, where all the rich people from Hollywood would like run away to to different sides of it. And so, to me, the valley is San Fernando, Silmar, Van Nuys, um, North Hollywood, all of these areas. And to the Kardashians, the valley is like uh, Woodland Hills, uh, Calabasas, like on the other side. So, uh, fun retrospective things that come about when you move out. So did was that the case back then, though, when you were growing up there? Or did that it just become cool and hip to be part of the Valley? Um, I don't. So, hmm, good question. I think when I was in it, it wasn't so much like, like, ew, you're from the Valley. It was more like that's that insular stuff of like we we are from here and the L.A. people are from L.A., right? Even though all of it is Los Angeles. Um I only ever felt it from the outside in. So when people, so when I went to college, when I would tell, you know, went to USC undergrad and a lot of people were from LA and we'd hear like, where are you from? And they're like, oh, I'm from Beverly Hills. I'm from um, Culver City. I'm from the West side. And I'd be like, oh, I'm from the Valley. They're like, oh, 
Like, and you'd kind of get that like illness to it. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I love being from the valley. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. It, growing up, like as a kid, I I don't think I had a sense of it, but I only noticed it once I stepped out. That's really interesting. So, can you talk a little bit more about that? I were first backing up on my dad's side of the family. There are 30 first cousins. Oh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) How big was your wedding? (laughs) It's a sore subject. (laughs) No. You won't Um, go there. But like, it's, it's a, no, I mean, but it's true. Like, and I grew up like with these people and I love them. Right. And so I invited all of them to my, to my wedding. And it's just like, how big is this wedding? And I remember my husband being like, we can't invite all of your cousins. I'm like, we can't not invite all of my cousins because I grew up with them. Like I, I know them as, as people still. Um, so that's just on my dad's side. On my mom's side, I think we're like one of like eight or nine or maybe between 10 to 12. I'll have to double check, but um, wow, yeah, lots of cousins. And then on my mom's side, I'm the second oldest, but I'm the first oldest um, female. And on my dad's side, I'm like solidly in the middle and, you know, all, all older side. So. so you grew up with family? Grew up with a huge family. Yeah. So coming back to the question of I didn't need to have a big circle of friends because I had such a big family. And I remember kind of not liking it because there was always something to do. It was always like your friend's quince or your cousin's quinceanera. It was your your cousin's um, about, you know, baptism. It was your cousin's school recital. It was just every single weekend, you're just continuously with your family. And I remember friends in high school saying like, we can't ever invite you out anywhere because you're always doing family stuff. And I was like, damn, that sucks. <laughs> now I'm like, cool, like don't invite me places. I want to hang out with my family. But back then in, in high school, it, it was kind of hard to remove my identity from my big family. Wow. So that's actually really interesting because I didn't have a big family because my family, most of my family was in El Salvador. So when I was going to family functions, it was like holidays or someone's birthday. Um, But a lot of my identity was like, who am I going to be friends with? Mm -hmm. And I almost wonder if like, I would have liked your situation better because I never had to feel like I have to find friends and if I don't have plans this weekend like you know that's poor me kind of thing mm. like I hope someone invites me to something but hearing you I'm almost like that would have been kind of cool but I guess when you're in it you don't realize like how fortunate you are and we were also like kids right right as I a think- kid it was it was definitely one thing and now like now I'm like wow that is a very fortunate situation right like I, I hear people who have family reunions and like I haven't seen my first cousin in six years. I'm like, what the heck? Like, that is so wild to me. Um, but again, in high school, I was like, I, I wish I had one weekend where I didn't have to do a family obligation. Yeah. Um, and it's funny now, cause now, you know, we're all my cousin. So we have like age bands on my dad's <laughs> cause there's so many of us. We have those who are like lower thirties, uh, which is where I fall. And then we have some that are upper thir- upper thirties. Um, mm-hmm. I think the oldest might be like 38 and the youngest might be like 18 20 ish so lots lots of age bands that you can hang out with but um 
yeah, it was, I wanted to not have so many responsibilities. And so now my, my, my 38, my 30 year old group, um, we now are like, have that same, like, oh, I wish we didn't have so many responsibilities, that family obligation of, okay, we can't, we have to recognize that we can't all always go to each other's things every single weekend because it's just, there's far too many of us now because now everybody has their own little family triangles, like trees. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been like a fun first generation thing that I'm having with my cousins of like, how do you deal with the responsibility of the guilt of you never come to my, my daughter's blah, blah, blah. And it's easy for me. Like it's, I'm in New York and my whole family is in LA and it's cool that when I go back, I really want to see them and I want to be invited. I'm like, Hey, you having a, you know, a, your kid got an A on their paper. I want to be invited to your barbecue. Right. Um, but I just know that once I get back, <laughs> once I eventually move back, it, it'll take me a while to readjust to the responsibility part. When you were growing up, you had community and it was your family. Was there a point where you actually did feel different? So I always only had like one to two best friends, right? So because that's all I could had the bandwidth for back then, um, I didn't really start to recognize Latino community, Latinidad, really, even though I was in a bunch of Mexicans, right? Like, <laughs> I didn't recognize that that was what was happening until I um, I actually went to the summer between high school, after high school graduation and before I started college, I was accepted to the Smithsonian Latino programs, um, Young Ambassador Program. And what it was, it, it brought, I think, like 20 um, Latino artists across the country into DC for a week-long program. And Latinos from different ages, right? Like different countries, different uh, regional, like not everybody was from LA. And I think that was like the first time I really realized that like, oh, there's Latinos in America who are not just Mexicans from LA, right? We even had Mexicans from Texas and that was a completely different, you know, breed of people that we were, that I was not familiar with. Um, so I think that was the very first time like, oh, there's a, this is a thing, right? Like outside of what I'm experiencing, my, my small bubble. Um, and in terms of being different, like I, I, it was in college once I got to USC where I noticed there was a lot of, um, I, I was not drawn to the, the, the frats and the sororities that were only about Latinidad. Cause I was like, I never felt like I needed that because mm -hmm. I had so much of it at home, but I completely understand why some people did. And that was like a weird identity crisis for myself. Like, why don't I need more Latino community in my life? Right? <laughs> like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> so it, that's when I first started having lots of questions. Yeah. I'm like, just fascinated by you and I literally grew up in the same world. Mm -hmm. And we had complete opposite experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why this podcast is like super cool. Because first generation uh people have a lot of the same like responsibilities and experiences but in such a different way were you aware of like the american dream idea mm -hmm. yes and was that something you were yearning for or was that something that you're like i need that i don't have you know there's a hole that i need to fill yeah through this I american dream I actually like, think that I, I won an essay contest about an American dream thing. I'm, 
I'm pretty sure I won like the veterans of foreign wars, like thing about talking about the American dream. Yeah. I was 100% aware of it. I felt like it was, I don't even know like how I became so indoctrinated, right? Like I, I didn't know, but I, I did feel a great sense of responsibility, right? Like y- your parents tell you what their life was like before they moved and everything. And with love, they're telling you everything I do is for you. And that's wonderful. But also <laughs> it's a huge responsibility, right? Like it, there, I did feel a sense of like, I can't slack off. I can't have a bad day. I can't, I can't not want to wash the dishes, right? Because you would always feel that guilt of my parents sacrificed so much for me. So I have to make their sacrifice worth it. Um, and to me, that's what the American dream was of like, you do something, you achieve something so that the generation after you can have it better than you. And my parents all the time said, like, everything we do is for you so that you don't have to have the hardships that we had. And even though they said that, even though they said, we don't, we want you to focus on your homework, like, don't try and pick up a part-time job when you're, like, 14 or 15 because we just want you to get good grades. Like, that's your job. Like, that's what we want you to do. And even though I, I did that, it still felt like it wasn't doing enough, right? And, yeah, that was that was the American dream of, like, making it so that the generation after you doesn't have to struggle. Wow. We end up struggling in different ways. (laughs) Yeah. It's called generational traumas (laughs) or first gen trauma. Um, I feel like looking at you from, you know, knowing you for a short amount of time that you are a success story and you have made it and you're a freaking professor. Can you talk about, your career and what you do and where you teach and how you got here. Yes. So I, it's really funny. Like literally these past two days, I've been going through such a transformation of like recognizing everything that I've done and and not discounting it. So if you, if we would have had this conversation two days ago, I would have answered in such a different way. Really? Um, Yeah. Like it's, it's literally happening right now. Right now on this podcast, you were having (laughs) some kind of internal revelation. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No. Okay. So taking it back, um, how I got here, I have always struggled with not really knowing what I want my job to be um, because I've always known that I just like helping other people do whatever it is that they need to do. And that's like not really something that you could just like apply for, right? It has to be through an industry, through a job function. And so my very first job, um, I got a degree in communication. Um, I decided I did not like journalism. I never really wanted to be a journalist, but I I thought I was going to go that route Um, more of that way and did not like it. So my very first job was uh, I worked at Target as a Salesforce manager of a $65 million store where I came back and worked and I was in charge of people I went to high school with. And I was like, not just their boss, I was their boss's boss. So it was a very weird thing. And also I graduated a year early. So I was, I literally was 21. I was turned 21 and then two months later I started this job. So that was, it taught me maturity in a way that I was, I felt like I really shouldn't have had to (laughs) experience that yet. Um, But that 
leadership role really taught me so much about how to talk to people, how to assert yourself, how to carry yourself in a certain way. I was 21 years old. And when you got, when you are like a person who yells at people at Target and you say, let me speak to the manager, it would be me, right? Like (laughs) they'd be like, no, I want to speak to your manager. Like, nope, this is it. Like there was no one at the store who was above me, right? Like I am the key carrier. And that was obviously like such a thing that I just had to get over of like, I am the boss. I have to make decisions. And I I had to really learn how to trust myself. Um, So that really like changed my life, right? It set me up for, for life in a way that I wasn't expecting when I first signed up to work at Target. Right. Um, So that was my very first job. Um, And then I just ended up taking a lot of operational work, like program work, um, I worked at a school next. I was an uh, operations manager. Then I went to business school where that was supposed to be where I transitioned to go into my my MBA was supposed to get me a job as a product manager at some huge corporate um, CPG company. And instead of making, you know, at the time it was like $130,000 was like the salary to get in 2017. Um And instead, I decided to go for a zero salary, zero dollar job and start my own business. (laughs) And um, that was... And how old are you at this point? This was... I I graduated when I was 27. So yeah, that's when I started it. Um, Started that company. Uh, The name of the company is Pocket Palette. And it's a travel size full face makeup kit. And again, I saw this as a way to help other people do their job and... I was never really crazy about beauty. Um, I saw this as pocket pal of like, hey, I know that as a woman, if I don't, if I'm not wearing my mascara, I feel less confident. So if I'm able to give somebody a tool to help them feel more confident in order to do their job better, then yeah, cool. And if it's via makeup, awesome. Um, And I did that for three years up until 2020, where the world stopped wearing makeup, they stopped traveling. And it actually came with the perfect time, the pause, because by then I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I've exhausted myself in this area. And um, yeah, it's also when I moved from DC to New York and it was like a new life was supposed to begin. And then in a very different way, a new life began <laughs> with, you know, post COVID world. Mm-hmm. So that took, a, that took us up to there. And um, that's actually when I got my first uh, teaching gig. Um, I had... I had a professor that I shadowed and I loved and I took all of her classes and her name was also Linda with a Y. So I think it was like the natural connection there. She also did marketing. So I was her TA as a student. And because I was doing pocket palette, I could do TA stuff for her when she did like classes abroad. Um, And so she basically got a grant that took her out of a teaching semester. And she's like, Hey, do you want to teach my class? Um, And I was like, okay. And that's how it came about. Like, I wish there was a cooler story, but literally, I think I was just in her face enough where she thought of me for that position. And she's like, I taught you. I know you know your stuff. So here's my class. <laughs> so that's when I, I, I literally only expected to do that for one semester as like my, wow, look at me kind of moment. Um, and that was spring of 2020. So I taught half virtual, half in person because of obviously the pandemic. And I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. And again, but I wasn't expecting to get hired back and, and I did get hired back for that fall. 
um, kind of in a weird way. The, the marketing chair didn't tell me. He just, like, I just started getting emails from students saying, like, can I join your class? And I was like, what? <laughs> so, so that's why I started teaching. <laughs> it feels like you were at the right place at the right time. And that always makes me think of, you know, when certain things happen in your life, it's a combination of being prepared for opportunities that come your way, but also luck, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times we can plan, we can plan, we can plan, and like, this is what I want, this is what I want, but things actually don't work out that way. 100%. And I used to have such a big problem with the word luck. Like when I was in high school, I was like, I'm not lucky. Because again, all my cousins would be like, you're so lucky. You get to travel the world. You get to have straight A's, you know, like, even though I really wasn't even a straight A student, um, I just had a huge problem. I was like, no, I'm not lucky. I work hard. And that was so bad of me now. Like, yes, of course, there is a lot of luck involved. But now I'm like, hell yeah, I'm lucky. But also I position myself to be lucky, right? Like, exactly. You you do the work so that when luck comes in, you're ready to take the prep that work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you start meeting people that either respect you, they believe in you, and they want to see you succeed versus if you came unprepared and you're just like, eh, I don't mm -hmm. really know. Like, I just met this person. I have zero experience. That's not actually going to be in your favor. Mm -hmm. Right. And that actually 100% Jamie is, is what I consider like your personal brand framework. And if your narrative is that I, I can teach, I am a good listener, I'm coachable, et cetera. If all of that checks off, when you have a strong personal brand narrative, people are more likely to reach out to you to offer your to offer you things, right? Like your personal brand narrative should do a lot of the work for you. And in mm -hmm. the case of being able to teach, it was a much easier sell for that professor to recommend me as her replacement because I was in the in GW's face. Like I, they knew that I was doing stuff because I was in their face about it. Um, and she, you know, of course, I I was her TA for like four different classes, so I knew how the the thing worked. Um, but if I didn't do all of that, then she would not have recommended and she shouldn't have recommended me. Right. Like that's, wouldn't have been a good fit, but it was. Exactly. Luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I agree with you that the word luck, like I would hate that if people were like, Oh, you're so lucky. Like this is just luck. It's like, no, I worked hard, but also it just, the universe brought me here, you know? Yeah. I made myself lucky. And yes, I like now if people call me lucky, I'm like, yep, I am. Like, it's, yeah, <laughs> they, they don't need to know the whole backstory now because, again, I'm not I'm more secure about it than I was when I was in high school. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> and now you do this personal branding coaching and you're very inspiring on social media and you have this very professional glow about you and it's very admirable. Like when I, I remember when we first met, actually, I've never told you this story. So you're, oh I hope God. you find it funny. <laughs> okay. So we first met for coffee because we met Ooh. that night at Chris's event and we met for coffee one morning and I literally wore like black leggings and a white t-shirt, which is what I wear all the time. Like I'm currently wearing a white t-shirt with black leggings <laughs> and you came so professionally dressed that I was like, oh shit. You had your makeup, your jewelry, like the cutest outfit. And I was so like horrified. And I told my husband after and he's like, that's why you have to always dress to impress. <laughs> Not like you're just taking your dog for a walk and getting coffee. And I remember just being like, 
Damn, that is so true. And obviously, I mean, I don't know, you know, you were thinking at that time, but I I thought I was put together because I was like, oh, I'm athleisure. Um, but then I saw your Instagram and I see, you know, what you teach people and how you inspire people. And it just made so much sense. I also think that's a Latina thing, too, because I've met mm. other Latina girls who, I mean, look, I do my hair and I wear makeup, but they were just dressed to the nines. Like they had their jewelry, their, their, they always were reapplying lip gloss. And I was inspired by that. And we were talking about like our nails and our hair. And they were like, I don't leave the house unless I'm like fully mm-hmm. confident in myself. And I don't know if that's like a Latin thing because our moms did that as well. My, um, a few things. One, my mom started her career in admin. And so her job was to look nice, right? To be the first thing that people saw. So she always did. I remember like the sound of the hairdryer is ingrained in my brain forever because <laughs> she would always, you know, give herself a full blowout every single morning. Um, but you talk about like the professional presence is so funny because I, again, this, I, this was a hard lesson that I learned at age 21 when I showed up to work with a red t-shirt because even executives have to wear the red t-shirt and khakis at Target and my district manager. So my boss's boss's boss said, Linda, you don't look like an executive. You need to work on your executive presence. And I was like, what the hell is executive presence? <laughs> and I had no idea. And I told, like, I was like, okay, thank you so much, Sherelle. Like, great. And I, I don't even, I was probably just wearing like wrinkled pants, right? Like it wasn't even that big of a deal. But I came back and I remember and I was just like, mom, she said I don't look like an executive. And she's like, well, you don't. <laughs> My mom straight up told me, like, you can't go to work like that and expect people to, to respect you. <laughs> and I'm like, she's like, you look like a pendeja yeah. <laughs> your wrinkled pants. She was like, you you look like the like the people who you're supposed to be in charge of. And that was like, she literally had to take me shopping. And I was like, so my executive presence, in addition to, you know, had to be learned. But also, it's so much easier just to start with clothing. Um, I ended up buying red blazers, right, at the thrift store, at, uh, like, Ann Taylor, like, all of these places. I just had to buy the clothes so that at least I looked the part, even if I didn't feel like it. Um, so, yeah, that's why. That's why I'm forever. And listen, we live nearby, so one day you will see me with, like, you know, my sweatpants and taking the dog out. But it's something that I'm forever, like, That will be the day. <laughs> Yeah, but that executive presence just really knocked me out. And it's and it's funny because I'm from California. We love our casual clothes. I'm most comfortable in de- in jean shorts and a you know white t shirt. But again, I, I hear that yeah. woman's voice like nails against <laughs> against the chalkboard of like you don't have an executive presence. And so here I am, still twelve years later thinking about it so interesting but yeah I thought that you'd enjoy that story because I don't think I ever told you about that after and we were both cracking up yeah and it wasn't early morning it was like at eight o'clock so to be out in the world yeah it was that was even early for me so I wanted to make a good first impression on you Jamie because I think you're so cool I think you're cool too and I feel like shit Oh my god. 
Um, wait, so I, I don't even know if you answered the question about the personal branding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. Like, it, it's. Yeah. Well, when did that start? When did you start doing that? So that's actually new this year. I've always sort of helped my friends like on the side of like, oh, this is how you update your LinkedIn profile. This is how you network with someone. Um, things that I've uh, done well in the past. And I finally decided, why can't I make money off of this? And um, it's a combination of the teaching career plus all of my jobs and entrepreneurship and public speaking. And um, it's actually changing a little bit, right? I'm using personal branding as a tool for leadership because um, it really, like, again, nails on chalkboard, being told that I was not, did not look like a leader. Um, all of these things are, are tools for leadership. So personal branding, networking, business etiquette, right? All of these things, fashion <laughs> are all tools for leadership. And I think it's so important, especially as a young Latina woman, where you have all these other check marks against you that if you can do all the other things fine, then at least they'll be forced to not judge you for your clothes. At least they'll be forced to not judge you because you didn't shake hands the right way, right? Like those are all tools. And and I think uh, that's what excites me about this, about this um, new project that to me, it still comes back to like pocket palette was a tool for confidence for women. And I still think that personal branding is a tool for confidence for women. Was there anyone that you looked up to growing up that you aspired to be like? Who was your mentor? Uh, so aspired to be like my mom, for sure. I mean, I told you she got dressed every morning. She did the, the blowout every morning, had everything. She had like the professional job. Um, so at a very young age, I was like, yeah, I want to have a professional job like my mom. Um, I very actively sought out mentorship from other people. And I remember, um, fun story, which I actually don't think I've shared. I'll post some, I'm going to reveal it to you now. I breaking, you heard it here first. <laughs> um, I, when I was 15 years old, and this is again, the kind of person that I was, I got an internship with Alex Padilla when he was running for um, council, I think, because he was, he had, he had a coffee clutch, clutch, coffee clutch at somewhere near my neighborhood. And I told my mom, like, let's go. And I was like, mom, can you ask him for me that I, can you tell him that I want an internship? And she's like, absolutely not. Like you asking yourself. <laughs> and, I went up to the, he was like six, five and I'm 15 years old, right? I'm like maybe five, five at the time. And he, I was like, sir, I'm a student at this high school. I'm very interested in politics. Can I be your intern? And he's like, how old are you? <laughs> I was like, I'm 15 years old. And so he like scooped out, um, who ended up becoming my mentor. Her name is Maria Ventura. And he's like, this is my deputy field manager, talk to her and we'll get you an internship. Like, welcome to the team. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, and so she, again, I was a 15, I was a kid, right? 15 years old. And Maria Ventura was truly one of my mentors because she taught me what, what does professionalism look like um, in politics? What does professionalism look like when you're meeting with the public, right? Like I always had my mom, but her job was her job and I never saw anything else. And I really stuck to Maria, like, as much as I could, anything where she could. I was like, Maria, can we have coffee? I want to talk to you about how do I upload my resume to this thing? How do I um, tell my teacher that I want to be in his class, right? Like, I, I just asked her for help for everything, and I, I'm really grateful to her. And 
it's where I learned about networking. She told me, like, go shake that man's hand because he's going to help you do whatever. And I was just like doing what I was told, right? But it was another Latina woman. Like, really, she was the one who who helped me. And um, and now when I see her on LinkedIn, right, I'm just like, oh, like, I would have been such a different person if I did not meet Maria. And also was told by my mom that, no, she was not going to help me get a job, that I had to do it myself. <laughs> So there we are. And now, of course, he is um, a senator. I was like about to say secretary of the state of California, but yeah, moved now and is now a senator. So yeah. I have like a letter from Alex, signed from Alex Padilla, like, thank you for your service and, and whatever. So yeah, when he runs for president, wow. I'm going to drop whatever I'm doing <laughs> and go run and post signs for him. So that's what I did when I was, when I first internship. I love that your mom didn't do it for you. I love that she challenged you. I don't know if she knew she was doing it at the time or not, but challenged you to figure she out your own way. And to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my mom taught. So my mom is the oldest of her family. She's the mom of, she's the oldest sister of eight. And so she really was like the mom to a lot of her sisters as well. And so she was very, by the time she became a mom, was used to like teaching people independence. And um, she knew exactly what she was doing. She's like, if you don't learn this now, like also she's like, I don't want the job. Like, <laughs> like you got to do it. And I remember really disliking her for a lot of that stuff. Like I knew some of my friends in high school whose moms would like help them do their projects or who would help them um, do a lot of stuff. And I was like, why can't my mom just help me do that? And Thank God she did not, right? She knew what she was doing because now I'm so, I can do literally anything because my mom at a very young age just told me to figure things out. Like I remember, and I'm gushing about my mom because obviously I love her, but I remember when I was like 13 and we moved to a new house and she's like, here, call the gas company and tell them to turn on the, the gas. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> she would be okay, like, so hold on. She's doing this. She could she could 100% do it herself, but she wanted yeah. you to learn. That's why she's telling you to do this. And you're yes. like, WTF, mom. <laughs> yep, it was 100%. And, it, and she would get, like, annoyed. I'm like, okay, but, like, what do I call? What do I say? She's like, I just told you what to say. She's like, you call them, you tell them. <laughs> you call them, tell them you live here, and that you need to set up an account in, your, in blah, blah, blah's name. I was like, okay. <laughs> And I did it. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, she was just like, you need to learn how to do things on yourself, right? And because, you know, she was the immigrant, she had to learn how to do things at age 12. She had to learn how to, like, be her own person when she came to the United States by herself. And so she was like, yes, I want to make your life easier for you, but I don't want you to not know how to do things. So it was always like obviously it was like super traumatic being a you know young and calling the gas company and telling them to set up an yeah. account oh my like, god i'd die <laughs> but now i'm like okay yes but also that's that's how i was able to get pocket pallet off the ground i literally just called up 70 plus manufacturers and i said i have this product can you make it and i described it to them over the phone and i was not afraid to to fail because like I was so used to failure already. <laughs> I was so used to doing really random You're Like stuff. what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. Let me know. So, so yeah, that's how I learned it. 
it's cool that your mom did it intentionally because she was still there to catch you if you fell, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you really needed her, she would be able to do it. Yes. In my experience, a lot of what I had to do was because my parents, like, they couldn't. Mm -hmm. So it's cool how we both had that very similar experience, but for different reasons where mm -hmm. your mom intentionally wanted to teach you. My mom was just like, can you call Verizon? Cause I don't, they don't understand what mm -hmm. I'm saying. I don't understand what the problem is here. And like, I need you to figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. But here we are in this, in very similar situations where we are very self sufficient yeah. and we do things that we could fail at, but we're not afraid to try at least because we've learned our whole mm -hmm. entire life that if you don't try, you're just not going to go anywhere. And then that plays into the whole luck thing and what we have. And a lot of what I have today, I think is totally luck, but it's because I worked really mm -hmm. hard to like get on that right path. So I think your mom doing that is really cool. But I also, you know, I'm grateful for my mom mm -hmm. not having those, <laughs> those resources and using me as her translator really uh yeah to, to get through things and i think like the lesson is still the same right like regardless of how it ended up and i think it's something that i don't know about you but like i'm definitely gonna have to be aware of um for my kids you know my theoretical kids in the future of like it it's gonna be hard to not do everything for them um but thankfully you know we both learned how to do things for ourselves and the things that led those experiences that led us like yeah, something to think about for sure. That's something I think about a lot where how do I find this medium when I have kids? I want them to be self-sufficient and learn things mm -hmm. on their own. So, I mean, that's a whole other conversation to have, but it is something that I am aware of that I'm going to mm -hmm. have to consciously focus on without traumatizing them too, right? Because I yes. think that's... <laughs> You're going to fuck them up either way. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I've gotten over that part. Like, for sure, they're going to need therapy. Um, but <laughs> it's just picking out which type. <laughs> I'm just going to start their therapy fund and their college fund at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do have one more question for you. Yeah. So everything that you've experienced and that you've learned and that you've seen in your life so far... Um, what advice would you give to yourself? You know, speaking back to my younger self is that you don't have to earn your right to live. You don't have to earn the right to your existence. You, you exist simply because that's what's happening. And you don't have to feel the pressure to pay back a debt that you, you never asked for, or that like stop burdening yourself um, for that. And I think that's something that I would have loved to have understood, right? You can, of course, hear it when you're at that age, but to understand it at that age is just something different. And I feel like if I would have known that sooner, I, I was going to say, maybe not even make as many mistakes. I don't know. I just feel like I would have been different. It would have taken me not as long to get there. And I'm still learning it, right? You don't have to earn your existence. You have the right to live and be happy. Mm -hmm.